Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you'd like to become a supporter, you can do so via Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash interlocutor underscore magazine or uh, click on the Patreon link on the site. So today I'd like to introduce our guest, Esther Balance is it? Balance. Balance. Ah, but yeah. if you if you were to say Balance, I would totally Balint. accept that, and a lot of my friends actually say Esther Balance, so Balint. that is very acceptable. But Balance is more the Balance, more of the emphasis. Balance. Yeah. Okay. All right. I wanted to make sure I got that correct because I've heard it pronounced different ways. So Balance. Okay. Well. Esther has deep family roots in the arts. Uh, she has continued this creative legacy with a unique and varied career of her own. Uh, she first gained wide exposure playing Eva in the Jim Jarmusch classic, classic film, Stranger Than Paradise. Uh, she was also featured in Steve Buscemi's Trees Lounge, and she worked alongside Mia Farrow and John Malkovich in Woody Allen's Shadows and Fog. Uh, Esther is also an accomplished singer, violinist, and songwriter. She's played with a wide variety of legendary musicians, and she has three solo albums released with the producer J.D. Foster, including the well-received Airless Midnight. And now uh, she is releasing her fourth album, I Hate Memory. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way you said that. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I hear it. I Hate Memory. (laughs) It has an exclamation point as part of the title, right? Yeah. Um, so this was recorded by Andy Taub. Am I pronouncing that right? That's right. Okay. At Brooklyn Recording uh, by Kato Hideki. Kato Hideki. Kato, Kato Hideki. Hideki. Okay. Yeah. And Bryce Goggin. Is that yep. correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, at Trout Recording. And I Hate Memory will be available as a digital download and via streaming services uh, November 18th on Red Herring Records. So with that said, Welcome. Thank you Esther. very much for having me. My pleasure. Um, so to begin, this this new album is a set of songs. Um, I was going to say from the musical that you wrote and based on on an original concept that you and Tony Award winner Stu, uh, you put that together. Um, it's had a bit of a winding uh, road production-wise. So you first had it scheduled to premiere at, this was in March 2020 at Dixon Place here yeah. in New York, but then I'm, Obviously, that uh, was waylaid by the pandemic. Um, and so you were finally able to do, was it a couple of shows at Joe's Pub? Yes, and we we will have more shows, or at least we already have one more scheduled at Joe's Pub. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. what date is that? January 19th, I believe. And it should be, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but as far as I understand, it'll be part of Under the Radar, which is their oh, okay. uh, public and well, it's a lot of different theaters, yearly theater, New York City, under the radar. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Um, so let's see. I did have the pleasure of seeing one of the productions. Thank you so much yeah, for coming. That I was great. I was going to say I appreciated you showing up. Did you come to the first or the second one? I believe it was the second. Okay. Yeah. So um, for people who haven't had the chance to see it yet, um, could you just talk a little bit about well, first of all, you know, what I hate memory entails. Um, yep. You have called it an anti-memoir, which I love. Yeah. Um, but it does cover so much of your life story. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I, I had read is that um, when you had met Stu and we're uh, kind of talking about formulating this idea, um, you straight up said, I hate nostalgia, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> and then he just said, well, that's why you should do it. <laughs> that's right. So what is it about like uh, covering nostalgia or memoir or, or you know, yeah. uh, personal topics that you kind of – that kind of makes you cringe? Yeah, it does make me cringe and – but I also feel like um, – some of that is a very defensive posture. Some of it is is actually discerning and smart, and some of it is a little defensive. And that this whole process of creating this show, which we're still in a way that in the early stages of, like it's still very much evolving. Right. But I feel like some of it is is starting to make a little bit friends with. It's okay. It's okay <laughs> to tell your story. Yeah. It's okay to look back for a second here and there and appreciate a few things. So so it's there's this tug of war. Yeah. You know, which a- anything that I've ever done and that has ever interested me has involved some kind of tug of war. Otherwise if there's no tension in it, I'm not that interested. So. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, so I have a, a kind of knee jerk default position of I hate nostalgia, I hate to romanticize the past, I hate to look backwards. Uh <laughs> there's also, you know, as we evolve as humans, there's like aspects of ourselves that we reject that are in the past that, oof, I got that so wrong, you know. Sure, or I, yeah. So it's it's all of that. But the, one of the reasons I have the title all in all caps and with an exclamation mark, you said it perfectly, is because <laughs> there is this little bit of cheek, cheekiness in it like, okay, you can't hate your – I'm not being totally serious. Right, it's right. just a little bit of a knee jerk. What do you think – where do you think that knee jerk comes from? Is just because we have so much? You we know, have like a lot of it. And, so yeah. much. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what it comes from. I think there is a fetishizing aspect to nostalgia and to memoirs and to memory and to even talking about one's own story and right. one's own maybe like a little bit victimhood. And that part, I just have a cringy uh, reaction to. Yeah. That's understandable. And then also so much of your story is, you know, uh, this very romanticized part uh, time period in New York. Especially as well. these days, like, right. <laughs> like for a while now, like I thought yeah. it was going to be a passing phase. This, this, uh, <laughs> I even, even when, when Stu mentioned that, I said, well, it's really, that's a really hot ticket now, but isn't it like kind of going away? And it doesn't seem to be going away. There's just ever more yeah. interest. In that period, and to be fair, it was kind of a cool and an interesting and exciting period. So maybe there, <laughs> maybe it warrants a little bit of reflection and examination and uh, historical. Yeah, and kind of like contextualizing a little bit better, and and de- maybe maybe deromanticizing it as well. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, right. But yeah, no, I'm sure it was it was a lot of fun. But of course, it was dangerous and it was wasn't all fun. Yeah, yeah. it <laughs> was all fun. It yeah. wasn't all fun. And and Stu, <clears throat> I think smartly said, yeah, that's exactly why you should do it because you're not going to fetishize it. You're not going to romanticize it. Right. Um. So it'll be a fresh take on. The happenings yeah and and i think it is and it, it, it i was impressed with the wide scope of time that it covers and and your different experiences and i will we'll get into that in a yeah. few minutes of how you kind of integrated all that cool into the show um wanted to talk about your dynamic cast um so i've got felice rosser and you know correct yeah. me if i get any of these names mispronounced again. that was perfect uh, okay <laughs> david Nag- nagler 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 yeah uh, Marlon Cherry, mm-hmm. Esme Thorne, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And Tammy Faye Starlight. So, uh, Ooh, you're a spoil sport. Tammy, <laughs> Tammy Faye is, 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 uh, not a spoil sport. That's the wrong term. You're, <laughs> you're giving away a, Tam, Tammy is kind of a surprise cast member. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but now the cat's out of the bag. The show is ruined. You spoiled the oh, ending. No, okay. I'm just we'll kidding. Just I'm totally leave. kidding. <laughs> well, you were, okay. So I won't say anything. I was going to talk more about because I go I, ahead, I, go I, for it, go I, for it, go for it. Do some yeah. more spoilers later about what what yeah, she does. Yeah. Well, the show, well we're just we're just uh, spoil alert. Spoil we, alert. All right. Yeah. So uh, in the performance that I saw, um, was she in both? Was she in both that you did at Joe's Pub, or was that? What uh, Tammy was, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. And then, as far as you know, will continue to to be so. Okay. Yes, I love Tammy, and and I've been in her <laughs> shows too, and she's in my show, and um, we have a mutual. Yeah, it's it, she's wonderful. So I would imagine um, many of these people, and you, you know, including Tammy, you've known for for a while. Except I know. Esme is is new and uh, and she is literally new, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. She's a new being. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about her in a bit because I was really impressed with her performance, especially you know considering her age. Thank you. And how much of the show that she really you know how crucial she is to the show. Um. So. Uh, I just wanted to get into what, in terms of you know your your relationships with these people, how you kind of got them all together. What does each do? What do they bring to the production, and so on? Yeah, well, so in a way, I'm uh, this whole conversation is a little bit of a of a, a spoiler alert because the whole way that I wanted to construct the show and and Lucy, my director, has been so great to work with because I think she's really on on I this page Lucy too. Lucy Sexton. Lucy Sexton is is that. I kind of want to keep people a little bit on the edge of their seat. Like, what is this exactly? Is this theater? Is this a concert? Mm-hmm. Is this um, a performance art piece? Um, and I want to keep it shifting a little bit as there are even projections. And eventually when right. it's fully realized, I think the projection will play a bigger role, actually, more cinematic. So the reason I mention that is because the cast also dances around – so, for example, the band is the band, but suddenly at certain particular moments in the show, they're not the band. They're they're like cast members. They have lines right. and they are kind of chiming in. Um, and then Tammy is is I sort of the biggest surprise. She she just appears out of nowhere. <laughs> She, it, it is a good surprise. She's an interrupter, which I yeah. really wanted to have an interrupter. Uh, oh, why is that? That's an interesting thing to say. Um, because – Well, you were talking about kind of keeping people on the edge of their seats. Yes, and yes. And also – yeah, and all the characters and all of what they say are a little bit reflections of the voices in my head and some of those voices – have been kind of a little bit put in there by other people. Maybe I grew up around, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, their voices. So I have those interruptive voices in my head, and I've been around <laughs> disruptive people a lot in my life. And so she embodies like um, 
So sort of yeah, the yeah. The, the the creative chaos. Yeah, the creative chaos, and also just kind of putting me down, right? Which she does, <laughs> uh, and and uh, or keeps you in check. Maybe keeps yeah. me in check, and yeah. she also gives a little bit voice to some of these fears that I talked about earlier about like you go in memoirs and talking about yourself. I mean, she actually says, "Why are you talking about yourself so much? Right. You know, you're <laughs> you're not that interesting." And actually, if you people that know me said that was really funny because they know that it's uncomfortable for me to do that in the first place. And so yeah. to give voice <laughs> to this interrupter, you know, saying that. Right. Who, uh, well, okay, I don't know how much I should say about what she does. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The, we've, we've let all it, the cats out <laughs> of the bag. We've issued our spoiler alerts. Because uh, she is, when she does suddenly appear, she is very much almost like this diva yep. presence. And I know that, you know, she's uh, she's basically, uh, you know, imitating Nico, yep. right? And yeah. I thought that was a fantastic impression that she does of Nico. <laughs> She does. A I mean, she's playing Nico essentially. She right? has a built, you know, she has a whole show of her own um, about Nico, which I think is brilliant. Well, she's mm. actually done a few iterations of it, and so she's studied Nico. She's done an excellent Nico. She channels Nico in a way, and um, that's why I put her in the show in a certain way. It's like it wasn't if if I didn't know Tammy. And I, I would probably not have put a Nico character in my show because mm-hmm. there are so many different characters that pass through the theater. But because of the way she does a Nico, I thought I could put a lot of different voices into this character and have my brilliant, talented friend be <laughs> part of the show. I like that's the bonus, you know? Yeah, for sure. How closely did you collaborate with all with all the cast members in terms of developing this? Um or- with well, so Felice has a big scene also. Um I would say that with the most of the cast members, including Esme, the girl who you, you want to circle back to, and I th- also think she's very talented. Um I I wrote the text. Lucy helped me finesse it in in sort of rehearsals and talking through, and then mm-hmm. the cast is really um pretty much Adapting, or, or I mean, it's it's not adapting. It they've been. I don't want to say they were given a script, but that is essentially what's happened. They were given a script, so their lines mm-hmm. are very much written. But we still rehearse with them now. With with Tammy, I also did write a monologue for her, and but she did tweak it a little bit because she needs to do that because she has got a big contribution here. Because as I say, she she has an eco persona that she does mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. But it was certain pieces of information and things were very important to me in, in her monologue. So I, I pretty much wrote that. The scene that was the most collaborative, I would say, is is the scene between me and Felice Rosser, mm-hmm. um, which uh, some mm. of that I wrote, some of that Lucy wrote, some of it Felice wrote. And in the end... Lucy and I kind of crafted it, but yeah, Felice had a lot of input into that one. And and uh, what what is that scene? Remind me. That is a scene. That's also a scene that I think hope comes out of nowhere. That is just a very candid conversation mm-hmm. about what was going on in that time. 
And I almost would describe it as a little bit like you as an audience would be eavesdropping on a private, candid, casual conversation. Doesn't she talk about going to some kind of all-night party? Yes, yeah, yes, okay. yes. Right. And, and we're actually describing those. It's the only time where we're really kind of shedding a little light on what that was like on a personal level, just like those days, like going out, seeing – I mean she describes this – this scene of seeing a band and there's five people there and it's it's incredible and it's the most transcendent music she's ever heard and like there's a actually there was a detail which I'm going to ask her to put back in which made me realize when she tells the story like oh that was television but she never mentions the band name you know oh. and she never <laughs> mentions the venue that it's CBGB's it's just like she it's more like this right. very much in keeping with the rest of the show which is more this impressionistic landscape yeah. like and i was actually wondering what she was you know but definitely kind of you know makes you curious when you're listening to yeah. that story yeah cuz it's a little sly you know she's talking about this kind of this night, this very personal experience at this time, but yeah. nothing specific. Nothing that specific. And and it's also a lot about what it was like, what friendship was like back in those days and, mm -hmm. and you know, how you you just went with the flow back in those days, you know, you know and, and the how big a part the music played in our life. So it's just a – it's just – it's the conversation scene. And that was, to me, I would say, the most collaboratively crafted. That, but people thought it was improvised. Some people told me they thought it was improvised. And it it sounds like it. And every bit of it is written, actually. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> so Esme, um, yeah. first of all, where did you find her? You know, I'm, I, it was a friend <laughs> of a friend. It was really like we're looking for a young person. I realized at one point that I wanted to separate some of this from me now to make it less cringy is the word we use, but like to, <laughs> yeah. to kind of create that little bit of healthy distance and detachment. And so we start, we were looking for a younger girl and, and she's been wonderful. I don't even, she, she dance, she's a dancer. She works at artists. Uh, developing artist, she, she, which is a company that does great stuff. So I don't know if she came to us recommend. I'll have to go back to my emails, but okay. she really came through a kind of traditional channel of like putting out an email to friends. Do you know any young w women who can sing and who, maybe a little bit, but who can act in a really non-actory way? Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of the weight of the show kind of on her, on her shoulders. Yes. It was really, I was really impressed with, uh, the amount of dialogue that she had to remember. And, <laughs> yeah. Thank and, you for and, noticing that. Go as me. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of movement, a lot of, there's a lot of transitions. I mean, yeah. she really carries kind of the whole show. Yeah. And, uh, for 14 years old, that's, that's pretty impressive. She's a very yeah. mature, uh, kid, much like I was, although I would say I was even more like, uh, well, we wanted someone who can actually look like a kid too. I hope she does. She's actually comes off, I think, a little older than she is. But, um, it gives a different weight to some of those words to, to see. And it helps me with the show too, like looking at her like, Oh, I really was pretty young when that happened, even though I felt <laughs> like a 35 year old. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, because you were around such a, such a wild range of, you know, ages and types of people. Um, yeah. 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 
So you've referred, and, and, and so I want to mention that um, this is the, so I've done two interviews with you for my magazine, for Interlocking. Thank you. And so it's nice to actually have a different kind of interview with you. Um, but in the most recent interview that we did over the this past summer, I believe it was in yeah. June, um, I checked back in with you about the show. And this is one of the things that I had asked, but I wanted to get a little bit more into it because you've described I Hate Memories, a work in progress. And I'd asked, um, you know, do you do, do, think there will ever be a definitive or final version you know this this um the current version is more stripped down as you've mentioned mm -hmm. and there there is uh, a, a bigger version that sounds like it's sort of you know been already written or i don't know if it has yet uh, but that would be something that would be a bigger production right yes possibly i don't know if it if it would be completely rewritten i think it would be adapting this and 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 using space and visuals and film in a in a more comprehensive way okay and yeah you, you talked about um incorporating projections more uh and then there were some and there are some yeah, in this yeah. current pr production who did the the projections um, but that's super given. talented uh videographer uh and visual designer and Theater, brilliant person, Tal Yarden. He's done a lot. So he's actually a, um, yeah, he's amazing. And he, we also have a music video for one of the songs on the album, which he also shot and directed. Oh, nice. Is that yeah. on YouTube? Or it's, can we find that? It's can, not officially out yet. So I can't <laughs> share it, but it will be okay. officially out within a week or two and I will share it then with you. Okay. Great. Yeah, I also want to mention that um, in accompanying when I release the this episode, I'm going to put up a page on the on the magazine site um, with links to the previous two interviews and links to the album and everything else. Awesome! Thank you so much wise. for giving me all this space and ink and real estate. I really appreciate <laughs> it. No, my pleasure. Well, you know, I I um, uh, have always been personally, like a lot of people, very interested in that time period that you that you come from in New mm -hmm. York. Would have liked to have seen it. Don't always know if I would have liked to have actually lived here full time, um, but definitely would have liked to have experienced parts of it. So um, that was what sort of got my interest going with interviewing you in the first place. And so, yeah, then it was great to kind of see the scope of your experiences, you know, on in this, you know, in this production. Um, so let's get into this album that you have coming out. Yeah. Um, also titled, I hate memory. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, on Sunday, October 16th at city winery, you're going to have an album release show. Yes, I am. And we were going to have, it's going to be a little different than what you saw. I I suspected it probably would. That's, yeah. I was going to ask you about that, but I know it's not going to be the full production. It's so this is essentially going to be a concert. Yes, but I think that we're. I am going to tell a few stories and just banter and improvise and go off the page and see what happens in between songs. Okay. Um, in a very just normal concert kind of way, but uh, I think we're also. Uh, yeah, so it'll be a more stripped down. We're getting, we're going to have a couple of little moments, I think, that'll be incorporated from the show. But overall, it'll be more like a concert with a looser, talky version of some of the text. Right. And you could possibly get some new ideas out of it, too. I was going to say that. <laughs> it's kind that, of a, that's it's a live the, workshop. In a it's, way. It's, it is, in a way, because we want to see what happens 
okay, if we take away the music stand and the page and, and just riff a little bit more. Nice. Okay. So about the album production itself, um, does it follow the same song cycle, the order of the stage show more or less? Or I, I re, um, I switched, I think only two songs kind of in the middle, which I felt like flowed better a different way than the live show. But the overall arc is the same. There's one spoken word piece in the live show, um, that I think is important for the live show. It, it talks about us taking a trip to Iran right, right. before the revolution. Uh, but I, I did not include that on the album because the arc of the album is, is very sort of neatly about the period in New York and without the, introduction into that piece it would just feel too out of place like what is this piece doing mm -hmm. here so other than those two things switching the order with two songs and then taking that one piece off it's exactly the same sequence of songs okay um and then so who plays on it some uh you know talk about some of the performers or are, are they some of the same people who are also some show? uh <clears throat> except for felice all of the same people so uh David and David Nagler, who's just amazing. And he was also, by the way, the musical director of the live show, which I should mention. And he's been super helpful. And, um, he is on it. Marlon Cherry, who has been an amazing asset. He can play anything and everything and sing. And he's just a fun, great guy. Um, they're both on the record as well, but, uh, and the drummer Brian Geltner is on the record. Mm -hmm. And I brought in Chris Cochran, who is somebody I've worked with for a very long time since basically my first album, since I've done music, since I've recorded music. He's been with me. So he's on the album. And who else? Um, we have trumpets. Jeff Hermanson did an amazing job. He, he oh, was nice. recommended by Stu. And then Stu is all over the record, which is, such a wonderful asset because the spirits of these songs really initially came out of he and, he and I working together and conversing and writing these songs. And so I really wanted to have him on. And uh, Kato Hideki it helped me produce the record and played bass on it. And Sid Straw makes an appearance on the record. And I kind of think I mentioned everyone, but if I left anyone off, I'm on the spot. I don't have my notes with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Um, let's see. So the song and the songs basically came first before yep. the musical. So <clears throat> what do you think some of the challenges are essentially of, of recording uh, in, now that it's become this very flush, you know, flushed out stage production? Yeah. Um, you know, musical albums are kind of an interesting beast, right? So what do you think some of the challenges are just, I don't know, maybe not challenges or just something, something that, um, stands out differently in the sense of like producing an album that's based on a stage production yeah, and, and, and making it really tie in yeah. to the, to the, you know, the spirit of the production. Well, it, it it's, I'm kind of tossing something out there and see how it floats or lands or whatever. I don't know yet, but because the songs did come first, I feel like they can, they stand alone and they work. And I have had the feeling that 
in the live shows, it's 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 one of the things I can count on the most from just from my own sense, but also from what I hear from the audience. It's like the songs have been in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, they work. And a lot of what I'm saying with this whole show is in the songs. Right. And I never, you know, wanted it to be just like a soundtrack album that is you really won't get it unless you see the whole musical or anti-musical really is what it is. Um, <laughs> That's just an anti-memoir. Is also anti-memoir, anti-musical, anti-me. No. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Let's see how it, how it works. But I think if you lend yourself to it, it'll make some kind of sense. It do, it doesn't have to be a strict narrative, right, but I think right. it'll it'll f- work on its own. Would you say that your other your your previous albums have been autobiographical in in any way, or were those songs a little more storytelling or abstract, or not quite as directly connected to your? Um, I think on some level everything is connected to your true self because if it's not, sure, yeah. it's going to sound phony, and that's not my bag. Um, but yeah, more abstract, less contextualized. Uh, I mean, this is definitely more of a direct, uh, which is hard here. I, that's why, hence the, the troubled sigh is here we are back <laughs> again at the old dirty word memoir, right? The, this, these, the, this set of songs and this album is more directly connected to my so-called story but i don't want it to just be my story i want it to be a story about a time and a place i want it to be a historical record i want it to be also just contain very relatable moments like um even though it was a very unique uh odd time you know I was a teenager and I struggled with a lot of the same shit that a lot of teenagers struggle with mm-hmm. in, in this yeah. crazy different context. Wanting to belong, <laughs> wanting to be cool, wanting to be accepted. One, it's just my peers happen to be not other suburban teenagers. That's it. That's the only difference, really. Right. And then you came here at what age? Ten. Ten. Uh, Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. yeah. So then you also didn't fully grow up, you know. You didn't from the get-go grow yeah. up here either. Right. So, yeah, and then you were just kind of thrown into this wild Well, uh, so then there's that too. It's an immigrant world. experience yeah. as well. And and so I wanted to be relatable on that level. So um, I think the songs work on their own. I think the album will work as, as a song cycle without the show. So hopefully – that's the case. I I don't think it needs to be looked at as strictly as a soundtrack to a bigger thing. Right, right. Okay. Um, and then so you had mentioned a video coming out. Yeah. All right. Any other yeah. uh, videos on the works possibly to accompany the album? Or? Um, not at the moment, but I'll I'll, I'll maybe I'll think about it. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we, this one, you know, the reason I hesitated is because there, this one was a lot of work. We actually shot it during the pandemic when the, it was sort of when the show was canceled, um, which was a very painful moment. Um, in, in March 2020, we were right. just like, well, let's do something. Right. So we made, we wanted to make a little short film that didn't quite end up 
being what we ended up with. It didn't really work for that, but it did work for a music video. So okay. Good, good. Yeah, that must have been really tough. And I mean, you know, effort, obviously it was a hard time for everybody. Yeah. But you had, you know, putting been putting together this whole show and building yeah. up all this energy and getting yep. ready to do it because it was shut down right. It sounds like at the last minute. I mean, we were like, still rehearsing like in early March and every day it just sort of felt like this, this – <laughs> mood of doom was settling in like is this gonna happen but nobody said it and then right it was it was a very big blow but yeah it was a hard time well and i think that we covered this in in the the most recent magazine interview but then uh kind of the things that have happened over the last three years in, in some way slipped into some some you know, elements of the show, the way the show's kind of developed, I think. Yeah, uh, I think it's morphed inevitably, inevitably yeah. because it always has to feel relevant to me in in the present moment. And and I did keep tinkering away at it during the pandemic. I wrote a screenplay with Tal Yarden, actually, which we haven't done anything with, but I would like to turn this into a movie someday. And I think that I need to revisit that. I've been very busy with the show now. But this thing has many tentacles. Well, for somebody who just hates memoir. <laughs> well, I know. going to a movie now. I, I <laughs> might not love the word memoir, but I love a big project I can sink my teeth into. And I love working <laughs> with other people. And yeah. I love creating. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Esther, for thank you. your time. Um, look out for the album release. I hate memory. <laughs> <laughs> you do that so well. I might right. have to you record you doing that and like the use official, it. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. The it's voice. fine with me. <laughs> Just sample my voice. I hate memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that will be coming out November 18th, Yep. the album. And then also check out her performance, uh, the, album, uh, the album release party performance at City Winery on Sunday, October 16th here in New York. And uh, thank you for listening. And once again, if you're interested in supporting Interlocutor's commitment to high-quality arts and culture coverage, please visit our Patreon page linked on the site or go directly to patreon.com slash interlocutor underscore magazine. And thanks again for listening. I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor interview episode. And for updates, uh, look at our, check out our site and go to our Instagram at interlocutor.interviews. And thanks again, Esther. Thank you. Okay.